Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit the website and give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. To find out more, visit lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show. Of course, we'll be talking about the election results or lack thereof in some cases. Uh, but we do have some really good news. Uh, we'll visit with Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute. Uh, we'll visit with uh, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of... Uh, Josephus of Oz. We're going to be focusing on the election results and what we see there in our discussion with Andy. And also uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books, his latest, How Everything Happened, including us. We'll be talking about free speech teetering on tweets, censorship during Senate hearings. It is November the 4th, and on this day in 1922, British archaeologist Howard Carter and his workmen discovered step leading to the tomb of King Tutankhamun in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt. When Carter first arrived in Egypt in 1891, most of the ancient Egypt tombs had been discovered, though little-known King Tutankhamun, who died when he was 18, was still account unaccounted for. After World War I, Carter began an intensive search for King Tut's tomb, finally finding steps to the burial room hidden in the debris near the entrance of a nearby tomb of King Ramsay VI in the Valley of the Kings. On November the 26th, 1922, Carter and his fellow archaeologist Lord Carnivaron entered the interior chamber of the tomb, finding them miraculously intact. Thus began a monumental excavation process in which Carter carefully explored the four-room tomb over several years, uncovering an incredible collection of several thousand objects. The most splendid architectural work was a stone sarcophagus containing three coffins nested within each, uh, near each other. Inside the final coffin, which made out of solid gold, was the mummy of the boy king Tutankhamun, preserved for more than 3,000 years. Most of these treasures are now found in the Cairo Museum. An incredible find in completing the search for the kings of Egypt. Before we get into elections, a little update on the, from the Florida Department of Health. Uh, has reported 78 new cases of COVID-19 and no additional deaths in Cuyahoga County yesterday. Also, there are 48 patients in Cuyahoga County hospitals. That's an increase, about 50% increase from 30 to about 48 in the last week and a half or two weeks, but certainly not insurmountable, and hospitals have plenty of room for patients. Remember, flattening the curve is the big goal for all of this. So I found this in my email this morning. You probably got it, too. It's from President Trump this morning. This day has been historic. We are going to win, and we are going to win big, says the president. But the fake news media and their Democrat partners will refuse to call the race. They will try to do whatever it takes to keep us from winning. They don't want another four more years of American greatness. They want to rip the power away from the people and put it in the hands of the D.C. swamp. They don't want you, that being you and I, to be in control of your company, country anymore. President Trump is addressing the uncertain election results early Wednesday morning, reminding the nation that he's predicted a contested result since Democrats have begun urging states to send, uh, send mail-in ballots to millions of voters. 
Trump was leading in several key battleground states that had not been reported final results because they were waiting to count absentee and mail-in ballots. And my wife was telling me just before I came on the show that in Wisconsin they say, oops, we found some more mail-in ballots. And see, this is the problem. Uh, president, uh, the president's lead now seems insurmountable, and he's concerned about de- Democrat shenanigans, finding a box of mail-in ballots like in Wisconsin this morning. But uh, let's take a look at the results. Right now, uh, Biden is leading in the Electoral College results, 238 votes to 213. Remember, the goal is to uh, get uh, to 270. So uh, let's just take a look at some of the results here. Uh, It's tight in Wisconsin and Nevada, uh, a result that hasn't been called yet, but it's uh, leaning to the uh, blue Uh, Biden won Minnesota. That was a disappointment. He won New Hampshire, Arizona, and Virginia. The Senate, uh, North Carolina, is won. Some great results there. Here's some Senate results, by the way. Ernst in uh, Iowa won her race. That was a contested race. Uh, Danes in Montana won Tuberville, or Tuberville. I don't know how he pronounced it. Won in Alabama. Mitch McConnell won his race in Kentucky. And we know that Graham was concerned. Lindsey Graham was concerned about his race in South Carolina. Haggerty won in Tennessee and Cotton in Arizona. Uh, Warner won for the Democrats in Virginia. That was expected. Hickenlooper in Colorado and Kelly in Arizona. So uh, some big results there. Uh, let's see if we can find some state results uh, to, to uh, talk about here. Uh, so this is how, oh my, my goodness, they changed this while I was waiting. But, oh, let's talk about the House, too. The, the uh, Democrats in the Senate is 47 to 47. It looks like the, uh, the Republicans are going to retain the Senate. It was some of the wins that we just talked about. It's uh, 47 seats right now for the Democrats, 47 for the Republican, and the remaining still have to be accounted for. So uh, it's looking very good on that front. The House balance of power... Democrats won 188 uh, races and Republicans 181, but some really nice pickups uh, during in some of those races. Some disappointments for the Democrats. AOC won her race, unfortunately, so uh, that's disappointing. Uh, in Arizona, uh, right now, Biden leads uh, 1,410,000 votes to 1,317,000 votes. That co- it looks like it's going to be going uh, to uh, Biden uh, right now if the no- if the race were closed, but there's still some outstand- outstanding uh, Republican areas or Trump land that uh, are are still open. Trump leads in Georgia two hundred two million three hundred eighty thousand votes to two million two hundred seventy eight thousand votes. So that's a hundred and two thousand vote difference there, fifty percent to forty eight percent. And, uh, well, I suppose there could be some overwhelming vote coming in uh, from Atlanta and that area. But irrespective, it looks it's a real uphill climb for uh, for Biden to win that state. Um, Iowa has six votes uh, and uh, Trump is leading by 53 to 45 percent. And let's see, Michigan, Trump is leading 200 and. 2,355,000 to 2,299,000, so a 56,000 vote lead. Of course, they suspended the count, and this is where he's concerned about the shenanigans that might uh, show up. Oh, we found a box of 100,000 
ballots. Now, the good news about this is the Department of Justice has sent out agents uh, to monitor the results. This is not something new. They do it most elections. They've selected the hottest areas, as I understand it, 44 different districts around the nation where they're going to be monitoring the results. For example, uh, Minnesota and uh, Michigan and Wisconsin. So my hope is, I know this is frustrating to the president because he left it all on the field, didn't he? He did everything in his power to uh, to win the race. For us, by the way, I would suggest. I just can't believe the energy and determination and focus that the president has. He says he's not a politician, but I've never seen anybody put it out there like uh, President Trump does. He was great. So I know he's frustrated right now because, by all indications, he's won the race. But I have faith that uh, if, in fact, this box of votes that's found in Wisconsin turns up, that there's going to be somebody monitoring, well, let's take a look at that box. I mean, I think there can be some accountability. What this can lead to, by the way, is uh, leading to a court case that could suspend the results uh, for a long period of time because, uh, of course, the wheels of justice grind slow. And anyhow, uh, Minnesota was uh, went to Biden. With a, he ended up getting fifty-two point almost fifty-two and a half percent of the votes. North Carolina, Trump has two million seven hundred and thirty-two thousand votes to Biden's two hundred two million six hundred fifty-five thousand. It's fifty percent to forty-eight percent. North Carolina should go to Trump. We'll see how this plays out. In Nevada, Biden is leading forty-nine point two three percent to forty-eight point five nine percent. The difference there is 8,000 votes, actually less than 8,000 votes. So that's still in play, and there could be Trump country that could have an influence on the outcome of that. Uh, Trump won Ohio, which is great news, by uh, 53 to 45%. And Pennsylvania, still in, in, uh, in, uh, contested, but Trump is leading by 55 to 43%. I just don't know why they can't call this race. Now, the other side is saying, well, you know, look, we've got to count all the ballots. Every vote should count. Now, who could disagree with that? But if, it's, if the votes don't matter, meaning that the number has already been reached, then it should be declared uh, for Trump. But, again, we're going to slow this process down and, and uh, watch how it all uh, comes out. I didn't mention some local races. Uh, Byron Donalds won his race handily with over 60% of the vote. Congratulations, Byron. Supported Byron in that race, and that's just terrific. Bob Rommel won his race, and that's great. So he'll continue to uh, represent us here in his uh, district. Wisconsin, that's a big one. Uh, it's 49.43% to Biden. To Trump, 49.09%. Uh, the difference here's uh, uh, less than 11,000, about 11,000 votes in Wisconsin. So uh, some areas still haven't been counted. Milwaukee, I understand, has not been counted. So uh, we'll see this uh, how this all plays out. But it's such an interesting, interesting time. We'd certainly like to have more information than we have, but we don't. And we just have to uh, allow the process to continue. And needless to say, there is violence in the streets in some locations, especially Portland. So disappointing. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Visit lifeinnaples.net. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs) 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And now soon going to be break, breaking ground on a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. I hope you find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, a Dodd professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author. He's written several books that I've read, actually. He's also uh, a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Cato.org, terrific organization, think tank in D.C. Now, Bob, uh, Amy Coney, Coney Barrett has been confirmed as the newest justice on the Supreme Court which is a, you know, the way she, I think she just acquitted herself so well during the hearings. She just demonstrated she's a great jurist. But should she recuse herself from election-related issues? Well, I think that, you know, the, the president's hopes and intentions in nominating Barrett might have been that she would rule for him in any cases that might come before the court. But that's not grounds for her recusal. I mean, every president hopes that his nominees 
are going to support him and his policies. But ordinarily, recusal is appropriate only when a reasonable person might conclude that there would otherwise be an appearance of partiality. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Barrett's partiality is up to her. Mm -hmm. It's not one dictated by President Trump. And I don't believe a reasonable person could anticipate partiality, which, by the way, she has vigorously denied, just because uh, the president might desire that she be uh, partial. In any event, Supreme Court justices are not bound by the code of judicial conduct. So recusal is up to her, and it's her decision alone. I don't believe she will recuse, but that's still an open question. Open question indeed, but it's looking more and more likely that uh, issues about this election will end up in the Supreme Court. I mean, the president's already suggested that should happen. Indeed, they will. Yeah. So the confirmation hearings haven't been very illuminating. What types of questions might be more constructive uh, for Amy Coney Barrett as she is going through that process? Well, the, the short answer is they have to be questions regarding judicial philosophy and not regarding cases or specific issues, mm-hmm. which the uh, nominees have quite rightly decided that they're not going to answer. So among among the uh, questions of, of the more philosophic types would be something like, should stare decisis, that is, you know, respect for, uh, for precedent, should it be weaker for the precedent that limits constitutional rights, like the Kelo case, you know, the eminent domain case, mm-hmm. and, it's, and should it be stronger for precedent that protects constitutional rights, like, for example, the Heller gun case, um, a second question might be, should judges start with a presumption that a statute is constitutional, or should they start with a presumption that the individual uh, has liberty, and uh, in other words, is it the government or the individual that has the burden of proof when there's a challenge to a law or a regulation that is in restraint of uh, personal liberty? <clears throat> a third question might be, uh, what should be the guidepost when the text is ambiguous or might lead even to absurd results. Um, Should the court treat unenumerated rights uh, differently than the court treats enumerated rights? And then finally, particularly with uh, Roberts as Chief Justice, to what extent should the Supreme Court be taking into account its institutional legitimacy in the way that it decides uh, cases? So... You recall that was the issue when Obama when uh, Obamacare upheld uh, Obamacare. He was worried about the court's uh, respectability. So those are the kinds of uh, philosophic questions that I think would be much more productive. You know, I and I, as you're as you're going through that process, I can only imagine her her response would be, well, it would decide on depend on the case. In other words, I think the the approaches for these uh, justices that are being confirmed is to pretty much evade any of the issues. (laughs) So there's nothing to hold on to. Yeah, I think that's true, and I blame that on the, you know, going all the way back to the Bork uh, yeah. nomination when the Democrats uh, just uh, e- tried to destroy uh, Bork, who had impeccable credentials. Whether you agreed with him or not, he certainly had impeccable credentials. He did indeed. So do you think a 6-3 to three conservative court will overturn, say, for example, Roe v. Wade? Well, you know, Barrett testified, uh, and this is a quote, she said, my personal church affiliation or my religious belief would not bear on the discharge of my duties as a judge. So she believes in a version of of stare decisis, this respect for precedent, that reduces the importance of 
past reliance when the precedent clearly exceeds statutory or constitutional bounds. I suppose she believes Roe is one of those cases where it does clearly exceed. And she also denies that Roe is a what's called a super precedent, which she defines as no longer controversial. Roe is obviously uh, controversial. On the other hand, she said uh, some years ago, and this is another quote, I think it's very unlikely at this point that the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe. Uh, the fundamental element that the women has a that a woman has a, a right to choose abortion will probably stand. And just a couple of years ago, she noted that there, although there'd be a, a, a jurisprudential changes uh, in the ways that state uh, states restrict abortion, the core holding she said is uh, unlikely to uh, change. So I think that's how things will unfold. That mm-hmm. the core holding. Uh, will stay intact, and that uh, there will be a lot of nibbling around the edges. Yeah, so uh, is it possible that a decision could uh, ride on uh, the question about when does life begin? Well, if so, the court ought to punt, because the court has no particular expertise in making those sorts of sorts of. Uh, yeah. Assessments. Uh, of course, the fact that the court ought to punt doesn't mean the court will punt. Right. But I would hope if uh, if that is the jurisprudential issue, uh, that the court would say, "Sorry, there are no jurisprudential standards by which we can make that determination. We're going to leave it up to the legislature." Yeah. But wasn't it that didn't they affirm uh, <laughs> three months of when the Roe v. Wade went through? Well, they more or less in in the subsequent case called uh, Planned Parenthood v. Casey. That was 20 years after Roe. Mm. Uh, they they switched from the trimester approach to pre-viability and post-viability. Mm-hmm. But they did leave in place these different standards, and effectively Roe was affirmed. Yeah. And that's why some people consider that Roe is a super precedent, because it was reform, uh, affirmed by the, uh, by the Casey uh, decision, um, which is the current posture of the court. Pre-viability, one standard. Post-viability, another standard. Of course, nobody quite knows what viability is. <laughs> yeah, so, so interesting. Uh, thanks for clarifying. So do you think a 6-3 to three conservative court will overturn Obergfell versus Hodges, which established a right to same-sex marriage? Yeah, the question there was whether the states have the uh, uh, power to issue same-sex licenses and uh, whether they have to issue same-sex licenses. And Kennedy, uh, plus the court's liberals, wrote that the 14th Amendment guarantees a fundamental right to gay marriage. So, you know, he leaned heavily on the Due Process Clause. I think that was wrong. Um, the Constitution doesn't confer a right to a marriage license. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing requiring, requiring government to be in the, in the marriage business. Now, that said, government is in the marriage business. Right. And the reliance interests here are enormous, given the number of same-sex marriages that have occurred now post Obergefell. So I think there's little likelihood that the court's going to revisit this issue. It's no longer uh, controversial. I mean, even the Pope has moved toward recognizing uh, civil unions. Right. So Obergefell probably qualifies under Barrett's definition of a super precedent, and that is to say that the case is no longer really controversial. So I doubt very much that it will be uh, overturned. So the Dems are going to try and pack the court by adding justices. I mean, that's been the uh, thread of the discussion up to this point. Do you think that's a good idea? There's nothing in the Constitution that specifies how large the uh, court has to be. In fact, it's changed size 
uh, a lot of times a range of five to ten justices, although the current nine has existed uh, since uh, the mid-1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Congress could change the court size by statute without a constitutional amendment. To do so under current Senate rules would take 60 votes to overcome a filibuster. But, of course, if the majority in the Senate gets rid of the filibuster, that would eliminate the 60-vote uh, hurdle. Now, all of that said, you know, I think packing the court's a horrible idea, uh, and FDR found out that when he tried it uh, back in the 1930s. Yeah. Uh, like then uh, and now, the public opposes court packing. And if it passed, uh, the likely outcome would just be a series of retaliatory acts every time the Senate majority changed hands. And that would further uh, polarize this hyper-political process and diminish uh, respect for the court. So I would hope and I anticipate uh, that there will not be a move to pack the court. I think more likely if the Democrats win uh, the presidency, it's more likely we'll see a move to admit uh, Puerto Rico and D.C. as as states, states, which um, they can probably do that by statute as well. Bob Levy again, chairman of the Cato Institute. The website is cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andy Joppa. He is professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show.
welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. One of the initiatives is creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and it's a win for everybody. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Andy, our, our discussions usually focus on culture. And uh, the, which leads, I think, to political outcomes. Uh, but this is such an interesting day because of the, what happened yesterday, the, what I consider to be frustrating results from the presidential election. What are your thoughts? Well, Bob, in fact, this is the culmination of culture. So uh, culture is the everything is downstream from culture. And this election is, is no exception to that. Yeah. You know, start out with some, uh, I think, some really good news about the election last night. And uh, I'm very proud of our state. I think Florida handled itself uh, beautifully in terms of dealing with the election. I, I think that uh, Trump far out this the polls they were obviously wrong his final win i think in florida is around 3.5 percent yeah uh, which is just just outstanding um i think we here in in southwest florida have to be uh, proud if certainly if we're republicans uh that we have created such a tremendous plurality for the president in uh, in southwest florida uh i think our our friends our brethren over in uh, miami the uh, the cuban population uh, who have an understanding of socialism, just just uh, totally, not perhaps not totally, but significantly rejected the Biden candidacy because of the linkage with socialism. So I, I think these are all, all good signs. And of course, uh, our good friend uh, Byron Donalds is going to Congress, and that uh, that pleases me to no end. Yeah. Now, beyond that, um, I don't think we're any more aware of anything than we were yesterday at this time bob it's mm -hmm. uh, uh the presidential election i'll get to in a second the uh, the senate uh is is looking good of course they've got to go uh, considering the potential of a of a trump loss we, we've got to hold at least 51 seats uh it looks like we'll do that susan collins is not uh, racist and called yet but it it looks like uh, she'll win uh in in maine uh, John James's link, uh, lead in Michigan is still significant, but shrinking at this point. Uh, yeah. uh, but certainly if Collins wins, uh, John James wins, uh, we know that Lindsey Graham uh, has won uh, in, in spite of the incredible money spent against him by, yeah. by 12 points. Uh, and of course, Mitch McConnell, who was theoretically in a close race, won by 21 points. Yeah. Uh, I predict the Senate will be held at a 51-plus margin uh, when when all is counted uh and i think uh, that is a significant consideration uh primarily because of the potential uh that the president may lose this election and therefore uh 50 will not do it uh, we can't hold an, an even senate uh we have to hold a a one uh, a one place majority so uh but i am optimistic that we will hold the senate which will provide a a stopgap for almost everything the democrats may choose to do at least during the next next two years. So let, let me just stop there and, uh, well, and that, get your, your comments. Well, let me, my comments is, I mean, this is, this was all predicted. The president said this is going to happen. Um, you know, right now, as you've pointed out in previous interviews, I think the, the uh, you know, once they know exactly how many votes they need to catch up, including, for example, the 700,000 
Pennsylvania. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if, voila, they found a box of ballots. They did. Oh, look at this, 700,000 ballots <laughs> or a million ballots. So it can happen. I mean, this is. I think these are the dirty tricks that can be played in these types of elections, especially by uh I'm going to say the Democrats or the progressives. So. Well, look, absolutely. It was predictable. Uh, you know, when, when you can uh, foretell exactly what will happen in a given situation, you, you, you have to gain some justification for your, your doubts yeah. uh, about the reason for these changes in the, uh, in the, in the voting process. Uh, so we're seeing that manifest uh, on the upside of all of that. Uh, if Trump wins where he's ahead right now, he wins this election. Right. Uh, so I think that that is the the upside of this. The downside, of course, is will those votes, as you just described, uh, turn up miraculously for the Democrats uh, in the next or perhaps day or, or two days, three days, as the case may be. Yeah. Pennsylvania, perhaps not till Friday or beyond. Uh, so we're looking at a, a situation that is going to not only drag out the count, but certainly there's going to be legal challenge. uh, uh from either side, depending upon how it how it plays out. Yep. But if the president wins Georgia, wins North Carolina, uh, wins Michigan, uh, wins Pennsylvania, where he's where he's ahead in all of them, uh, then he wins this this process. He wins the the electoral vote at at two seventy plus. Yeah. Uh, so again, that's that's the source of optimism. My my pessimism is built on the things that you've alluded to and I've alluded to, uh, which is uh, will the Democrats find these votes someplace somewhere? in some miraculous fashion over the next few days, Bob. Well, and I'll also mention that the, the Department of Justice deployed uh, people to watch the voting process. So we do, and they went, they're going to hot spots like Pennsylvania, Florida, Wisconsin, Michigan. So uh, I, I, you know, while that can happen, I think there's some uh, people who are watching the election results and would uh, certainly be there to question what's going on and uh, certainly be able to testify to what's going on in court. So uh, I'm have, I have faith that I think we're going to pull through this. I think Trump's going to win. I, I'm certainly, gosh, I hope that's true. You know, you know how I, I really admire the president. If we look at Pennsylvania in, in a detail, uh, two of the outstanding counties in Pennsylvania on their far eastern border, a uh, far western border, sorry, uh, that align themselves with the far eastern counties of Ohio, which went dramatically for President Trump. Mm -hmm. So even if we look at the 700,000 vote lead, two counties, still strong counties that for Trump, uh, still outstanding that anyone in Pennsylvania could legitimately predict a, a, a Biden win is, is so suspect to me, Bob, as to be, uh, to be almost an outright admission uh, as to the fraudulent potential that exists in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I think we have to look at the polls. And I, I've been talking about this as, as any, anyone who, uh, who follows these political uh, trends uh, uh, will, will agree. The polls are useless. They're absolutely useless. Yeah. You know, uh, basically, the polls have done nothing but distort uh, the voters' view of this election. I think it's been done with intent. is isn't just bad polling uh, uh, tactics or, or somehow incompetency. I think there's been a serious attempt uh, to, in fact, skew these polls in favor of Joe Biden uh, to, in fact, uh, apparently try to discourage uh, Trump voters from showing up at the poll. Yeah. The one thing I'd like to mention that I, I don't hear mentioned, you'll see a lot of comparisons of Trump's performance in 2020 as compared to 2016 in various states and various counties. 
I think what they leave out of this whole analysis is the what I call the Hillary factor. Uh, I think that Hillary was, in my estimation, I'll use the word, a, a repugnant candidate. And I think that she, by her very personality, discouraged uh, a significant number of, of, of Democrats uh, to stay home. Yeah. Uh, I think that Joe Biden was not popular, but he didn't generate that degree of resistance yeah. that I think Hillary generated. So I think the Democrat turnout was... Uh, was far more significant than it was in 2016 for several reasons. Uh, but I think one of them is that Hillary was not the presidential nominee. Yeah, well, I will say this. This race, I'll, I'll meekly uh, attest to the fact that uh, I, I was more optimistic for the results than what we're seeing right now. I believe Trump will win, but it's not by the landslide that I believed that he would win by. Uh, a lot of forces that were even the CDC said, hey, you know, if, you, if you're infected with COVID-19, don't worry, go out and vote. Just tell the vote people <laughs> It's, it's, I, you know, I, I see that as kind of a political undermining of the process. It's just unbelievable. Hey, listen. Well, there's no doubt. And, you know, the, the Trump voters had no problem showing up. I understand that uh, yesterday and early this morning, the, uh, the in-person vote on Election Day had Trump winning in every state except California. Uh, New York and Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, so he won in 47 states in the in-person vote on election day. Yeah, amazing. Uh, so again, this was the. I think many Republicans just wanted uh, the emotional joy of, of of patriotically casting their vote on election day. Uh, I think what we've seen with these early votes and why they couldn't be tabulated. Yeah. Why they weren't ready to go on, on on election day itself is totally beyond me. Now, Florida has been counting for weeks, Bob. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when the moment of truth uh, came in, uh, certainly Florida was ready to uh, to tabulate this, this final count. Absolutely. Uh, but again, let's leaving it outstanding is left open the. Uh, the number that Democrats have to reach to to defeat the president. All right, we, got to, we have so much more to talk about, Andy. We'd like to talk about the results in the House race as well. Can you stick around? I will be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the uh, Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. 
Visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andy Joppa. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So we haven't talked about the results in the House. Uh, what do you see? Well, I think uh, we can probably uh, take the position that uh, the president uh, had some coattails in terms of uh, his his candidacy. I think that his campaigning not only helped him, but I think it helped some of these congressional candidates. Yeah. Uh, the last count I saw, the Republicans have picked up four seats. Now, they're not going to take the House. I, there's no chance of that happening in my estimation, I think in any estimation. Uh, but again, I think any gain in the House shows a a, a significant process, uh, I, and I attribute it primarily to the president. Uh, just getting back to Byron Donalds, he, he won outstandingly here in, in the 19th congressional, 100,000 vote margin, uh, 22% uh, plurality, just just an outstanding performance by, uh, by uh, Mr. Donalds, and uh, I couldn't be prouder of this man. Uh, and so I, I, there's a lot to be happy for in, in this election. I, I think what lies ahead is going to be frustrating and uh, it's it's unfortunate that I believe the Democrats have primed the pump to uh, to, to create this eventual chaos for the American people. Bob. Well, I'll say this, Andy. I, you're probably right about your assessment, although the Democrats have to be very disappointed in losing some of the races that they, they felt they should have won. Donna Shalala, for, for example, over there on the uh, east coast of Florida. But uh, there's again, it's close now because there's 188 Democrats who uh, have won. There's 181 Republicans. The difference is only seven seats, and there's a, a handful of uh, seats to be determined yet. So, as usual, I'm hopeful that perhaps uh, we can end up, if nothing else, getting close to a tie in the House. I, I think that will be the case. I, I Again, as I indicated, Bob, I, I doubt we'll take the House, but uh, my goodness, if we could, that would be an outstanding moment for uh, for this country. Uh, ultimately, the, uh, the eye on the prize type of situation is certainly the presidency. Um, yeah. I think, as the president said last night in the wee hours of, of this morning, you know, uh, he actually has won this, this, this campaign. And during normal presidential elections, uh, I think that would have been, uh, been the outcome. Uh, the only thing we're looking at here is not the will of the American people, but the will of the Democrat Party, Bob. Right. And I think that's an unfortunate statement. And if he loses, uh, I cannot see this doing anything but further dividing the populations of America that's already rioting in the streets. And yep. I think as these votes get counted by God knows who, uh, I think we're going to see those riots uh, amplify, Bob. Well, I agree with everything you're saying, Andy. I mean, the uh, disappointing, disappointing fact is that, uh, you know, we're concerned about fraud, voter fraud, especially for these uh, ballots that weren't requested to the, the mail-in ballots, not the uh, absentee ballots, but the mail-in ballots. That's the opportunity for fraud that's available right now. We see, uh, again, I'm hopeful that uh, justice will prevail and the right thing will happen in the end. The president will end up being uh, elected. I think it's going to be stretched out, though. It could actually go into January. It's, it is very possible. Um, you know, you uh, you know, I'm a strong Trump Trump supporter. I've never uh, put any any doubts about that in, into our conversations. Uh, if the president had lost, and I I felt this was a uh, an honest election, then it would bother me. But I I could live with that. Yeah. If I feel at the end of the day, Bob, that the president has been cheated at this election. I don't know if I can live with that, and I don't know what that means in terms of my future as a as an author, uh, as a as a as a speaker, public speaker. Uh, but I I think it's going to set America on the path that 
that are just not uh, desirable. Right. And I, um, unfortunately, I may be part of that process. Well, it turns us into a third world country. Listen, I understand the president's position. I understand Joe Biden's position. The president, he left it all on the field. There's nothing more he possibly could have done. I mean, the energy and, and the enthusiasm that he demonstrated at the end was just absolutely incredible. And Joe Biden, I mean, it's almost he takes a look at the numbers, especially in Pennsylvania, and he says, you know, this is a steep hill, but, you know, if you're on life support, you want to live. So I understand where he's coming from, too. He wants he wants to win the election, even if the odds are against him. So, again, uh, I just fault these states for not having a situation or plans in place to be able to count all the gate, uh, go votes on uh, Election Day. Well, I, I typically resist in these conversations, not with you, of course, but just in general, the, uh, the fact that, that Joe Biden is the, is the reality of this election. I, I think what is, what is happening is the, uh, the Democrats, the, most of the liberals voted uh, for the party platform. Uh, not Joe Biden. I think he had, uh, relatively speaking, zero enthusiasm from any voter. So I think the Democrats that came out were voting for that platform, which uh, is loaded with uh, with things that are so detrimental to America that it's hard to imagine that we would live through it. Uh, I think, again, thank goodness the Senate apparently will have a uh, a voting majority for the Republicans. So for two years, we'll be able to, uh, to block uh, anything they do. Uh, within reason. Um, but again, um, I, the presidency is, is the key here. Donald Trump has, has earned that victory. And I think a wise America would have given, given him a resounding victory, which I think is reflected in, in your feelings about what the outcome should have been. All right. Well, of course, the other thing, the Trump derangement uh, syndrome plays a large role in this. And some people just are so biased against the president. I think that may have been driven uh, the results more than actually uh, any kind of platform that the uh, Democrats may have had. Well, there's certainly that, that there's certainly a tremendous amount of truth to that. Uh, uh, but again, I, I do think that uh, that uh, let me just not ignore that truth. Uh, let's just add to it. But I think there still is the uh, the platform positions of the Democrat Party that for a significant part of the constituency matter the ending of fracking for example uh, the movement towards socialism the strong uh, prohibitions uh, against the ownership of guns uh, the extension of of, um, of abortion uh, rights including third try you know there are so many things uh, contained in the platform of the Democratic Party. There is a large number of those voters that came out for that platform. Uh, great point. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Live. Just uh, Let's end this by just with a hope and prayer that everything is going to turn out. Justice will prevail and the president will be elected uh, for a second term. Well, from your mouth to God's ears, Bob, and yeah. uh, next week we will know. Uh, now I'm going to get some sleep. Bob. All right. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's a brilliant man. You know, he's written several books. Uh, he also writes his column, but a couple of uh, commentaries he writes each week for Newsmax. On Point is the name of his column. We're going to be talking about free speech and Twitter. We'll be doing that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Benita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell. He's endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, been an important voice and uh, help in, in all of our space flights. Uh, he's also um, a, an author. His latest book is terrific. It's called How Everything Happened, Including Us. And he writes his column for uh, Newsmax, several uh, commentaries a week, Free Speech Teeters on Tweet Censorship During the Senate Hearings. Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's always a pleasure to be on. Thank, thank you. you so, so let's, let's talk about this critical issue. I mean, uh, last night uh, uh, the Twitter uh, censored the president's tweets and the uh, the censorship has just been unbelievable. What are your thoughts on all this? Well, I think many of us share this this big concern that, uh, I, and we had a, a brief conversation you and I before the show, and uh, it's amazing how close this election can be, given that you know there's such a disparity of the kind of tribal warfare uh, that we're seeing and. Uh, you know, think how can you know how can this possibly be? But then also you dial it back and you say, well, look at look at who the uh, um, opposition is, and it's really the media, mm-hmm. of course, and uh, and Silicon Valley, and you know the, the fact that uh, we're being so much um, information and communication is being censored and and so on and. Uh, we, th- we think of, for example, the 
New York Post article uh, that was revealing, or I say more than one article that's revealing uh, a lot of Biden shenanigans, you know, foreign shenanigans with Ukraine and, and China and Russia. It looked like they were uh, kind of um, influence peddling sort of racketeering, really, and mm-hmm. uh, and basically having that uh, having that not be reported. You're not, you know, having that censored by Twitter and and Facebook and so on. And 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 there's a lot of angst now about just seeing the monopolistic uh, power of of Silicon Valley to limit competition and. Uh, which, which of course, then means that other um, points of view, other other uh, uh, information can't get into the floor because they have these these deals among each other. So, yeah. it's, it's so it's really uh, the battle over information that we that we're witnessing and uh, the free flow of information and these companies that are supposed to be platforms for communication have become really uh, something you know, really something quite different they're uh, they're really controlling information and yeah. I think many of us are aware of that and some of us have had that happen to us you know and it's, it's concerning it is concerning it has happened to my wife she was uh, censored or taken offline for one of the comments that she made uh, it's pretty clear that I mean this uh, the head of uh, Twitter Dorsey, uh, was up there, and he, you could tell him mean, he actually he uh, perjured himself by saying that you know that article now is available. The, the uh, New York Post article now is available on Twitter. Well, it wasn't. He was he, he didn't tell the truth. It, to me, it seemed like these guys Zuckerberg and, and Dorsey and the others were up there, and they basically their intent was to say, well, you know, well, we you're making a good point. Gosh, we got to look on that. Oh, did that happen? Did she's really the head of that? I we didn't know that. They're just running interference until after the election. Well, I think they're so powerful that they're not intimidated by Congress or anyone else because they, uh, you know, they can influence uh, votes on both sides, not just the Democrats but also Republicans as well. They have they control information, and it's and it's a global influence. You know, they can they can control the flow of information globally, and that's. And, and the amount of money they have is just insane. You know, yeah. To, uh, and of course, then the technology that they use and the algorithms. Uh, I've got an article coming out today that uh, really talks about how how, how this, these algorithms are used. And, and and Google, for example, where you, you Google, you want to get some information, and it it pulls up the. Uh, the the reports and articles and so on that have a very liberal bias and mm-hmm. and it's and and I, I I see this because I'm constantly looking at it, new information and uh, and I see I have to uh, when I want information be very very specific about what I'm what I'm looking for right so that I just don't get buried in in a lot of essentially propaganda yeah. Well, I mean, the, I, I read someplace, and this is from Recall, so I can't, I, I wouldn't depend on this quote, but uh, something like uh, like Google will affect something like our Facebook up to 15 million votes in the United States. This is the impact and the power 
It's, and it's not like this is happening because of a mistake. It's happening because of intent, as you've pointed out. So uh, somehow, some way, we've got a problem with the fourth estate. The press is not uh, reporting the news properly. They're, I'm sure there's fact-checking going on. But even the fact-checkers uh, have their own bias. So uh, I don't know how we restore the fourth estate in the United States, but it's so important right now, especially as we see with, uh, with social media. Well, at least there, one thing that the Internet has given us is alternative voices mm -hmm. uh, where you can, you know, of course, we have the bloggers, and I'm, I'm a blogger myself. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and my perspective is that I need to be scrupulously, um, I'm not, I certainly have biases because I, you know, when you write an opinion article, which I do, you know, you're, you're expressing an opinion, and opinion is, is biased, but mm -hmm. I have a responsibility to be factually right, mm -hmm. and uh, not to just cherry-pick facts that I want to pick, but uh, try to provide a perspective that where, where people trust me, you mm -hmm. know, that I'm, you know, when I'm, I may be biased and, and, and so on, but I, at least I try to support what I, you know, what I say with honest you know, information. I know you do the same thing. That's why we were able to communicate with each other. And uh, yeah, so at least there are there are alternative ways of uh, getting information. And uh, right now, I think we're also seeing. I'm signaling a bit, but we see this urban-rural divide. And I predicted that this was going to be something we'll see more and more. And it's, a demographic shift from cities to rural areas, and we're seeing this now in uh, in the battle in Wisconsin and other other states for you know for for the election. Mm -hmm. There's enormous uh, difference polarization between not only the, the parties, but by extension, the uh, urban versus suburban and, and rural vote, and uh, and that's that's largely uh, being accelerated by the work-at-home phenomena and the virus. So yeah. we're living in a very rapidly changing time, and uh, technology is part of it. And a big part of that technology, of course, is information technology. Absolutely. I do want to, uh, I wish I had more time to, uh, to visit, uh, Professor, but I do want to underscore your, the importance of your book. It's a great read. How everything happened, including us, goes back, starts 13 billion years ago and comes up to the present day. And again, by Professor Larry Bell. Genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show, Professor. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Robert. My, ple my pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I found uh, the circumstances waking up this morning a little frustrating, but irrespective, I remain optimistic uh, that uh, here in the greatest republic ever founded that uh, we'll be able to sustain our republic maybe for another 40 or 50 years. I certainly hope so. I hope you join us tomorrow. We'll visit with Dr. George Markovich, orthopedic surgeon. We'll visit with Bill Barnett. He's the former mayor of Naples. We'll reflect a little bit on what's happening in the world and in Naples. Michael Cannon is the uh, uh, director of health studies at the Cato Institute. And then Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>
so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>